Well, good morning to you. It's lovely to be back with you in New Beginnings. Thank you so much for the opportunity of coming. Uh, I, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 13. This is the very well-known passage um, when Jesus teaches the disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. Reading from verse 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious and holy word. Let's pray together just for a moment. Father, we're so grateful that we have your precious word, and we want to ask, O oh Lord, that in your mercy you would break it into very small pieces and give us an understanding as we're going to look at this subject that is so complex and yet so incredibly necessary. So please, Lord, just capture our hearts and our minds. Help us to concentrate. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and teach us something that would really help us. We ask these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the disciples uh, one day went to, to Jesus uh, uh, it says in Luke 11:1, 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And I think that's just so interesting. Lord, teach us to pray, the disciples asked. And I don't know about you, but when I came to faith, I was just thinking about it 45 years ago. Nobody ever sat me down and said, let me teach you how to pray. It was kind of assumed that if you sat fairly close to somebody in a service, that in a mystical way, uh, the process of osmosis, I think they call it, that somehow you'd learn how to pray. But I don't think it's like that. And I actually don't know anybody who's satisfied with their prayer lives. A man called Tim Keller said, We are more prayerless than we have ever been in the past. And our spiritual health isn't free for. And I think that applies to Scotland, doesn't it? Our spiritual health isn't free for. And Eugene Peters said, said very helpfully, we only pray well when we are immersed in the scriptures. We only pray well when we are immersed in the scriptures. 
So when I set out to prepare all of this, I went onto Amazon to check uh, about the books that are available on prayer. And I discovered that there are over 100,000 books that you can buy about prayer. And yet we've got four Sundays to look at the topic of prayer. So we're going to have to tighten our seatbelts and we're going to have to uh, just uh, get on as, as well as we can. Now, I have to tell you that I make no claim to expertise. An expert, you know, X is the unknown factor. A spurt is a drip under pressure. So I am no expert when it comes to prayer. I struggle with my prayer life, but I'm very sure that you struggle with yours too. In fact, the spiritual giants that we look up to are probably the folks who would claim to have the biggest struggles of all. But I want to invite you to accompany me on a journey. As, as, and as with all journeys, the view will vary as we move forward. So it's very important that we keep in mind the destination. Where are we going? Where is this leading to? Well, the goal of our journey is to develop a more intimate relationship with Jesus. To get to know him better. That's the, the goal of our journey. I don't know if you've ever stayed in a luxury hotel. I don't think I ever have. But I sometimes dream about staying in a luxury hotel. And uh, I just love the idea of being able to reach out and pick up the phone and to say to somebody at the other end, I have a shirt that needs pressing. Or my trousers need to be pressed. Uh, Or or not only that, I'd I'd like a chocolate milkshake and a bacon sandwich for breakfast. And to be able just to to say that down the phone and to have somebody come along and to give me whatever my heart desires and whatever my stomach will tolerate. Or maybe just to... to to ask for maybe something else for some information but you know that's the concept that some of us have about prayer that God has been created in the image of a divine bellhop and for us prayer becomes the ultimate in room service wrought by direct dialing and furthermore there's no tipping and everything is charged to that great credit card in the sky now prayer is many things but I'm very sure that that's not prayer prayer is not like that God is not a divine bellhop at our beck and call now some of you will uh, know about the book of common prayer well what the book of common prayer says about marriage I think applies to prayer it says about marriage it is not to be entered into lightly or carelessly but reverently and in the fear of God. And I think that applies to prayer because prayer is a serious business. And that last phrase, uh, in the fear of God, just reminds us that it is serious. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find the prophet Malachi, uh, and he's dealing with a people who, who were not bringing God sacrifices that were acceptable. They were doing the wrong thing. And Malachi says in verse 8 of chapter 1, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. So there's a little challenge here about 
how we approach God and what we bring to God. Now, prayer is indeed a serious business and a great privilege. D.L. Moody, whose ministry impacted Scotland in such a major way in the latter part of the 19th century, he said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Isn't that something? Jesus didn't teach his disciples how to preach. He taught them how to pray. So prayer is, in truth, something of a mystery that puzzles us. Now we know that God is sovereign and he sits on the throne. And if God is sovereign and all-powerful, then he already knows what our needs are. And if God knows what our needs are, why do we need to pray? In Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if our father knows what we need, why Why do we need to pray? Why do we need to pray? Well, the more you think about prayer and try to explain it, the more baffling it becomes. It reminds me a little bit about the story of the conversation between the centipede and the beetle. The beetle asked the centipede, how do you know uh, which legs to move next? And the centipede replied, well, to be honest, I've never thought much about it. And the more the centipede pondered the question, the more confused he became, until finally the centipede was so bewildered it became paralyzed. (laughs) To make things even more challenging, how does God, who dwells in eternity, relate to our prayers, which are offered in the midst of time? Did God decree the answers to our prayers even before the creation of the world? How do you get your head around that? What then is time? Augustine asked that question and he answered it. He said, I know well enough what it is, providing nobody asks me. But if I'm asked what it is and try to explain it, I'm baffled. Now both the centipede and the great bishop warn us that in some matters... Analysis can lead to paralysis. And so it is with prayer. Analysis can lead to paralysis. But we know that as God's children, we need to speak to our Father, and that's prayer. And and we need to hear our Father's voice, and that's us reading the Word of God. So there's a balance between us speaking to Him and listening to Him speaking to us. And it's really important that we have that balance between the two. Because if we don't have the balance in the two, then we'll get into a muddle. It's very important. As God's children, we are able to pray. We don't have to have uh, to be a, a spiritual PhD and to be a hundred years old and wonderfully mature to be able to pray. Anybody can pray. Anybody can pray. Do you remember uh, that, that uh, even baby Christians can cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And actually the lovely thing is that when we don't know what to say, he's actually praying for us because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. So when I'm lost for words, not sure how to pray, 
It's a wonderful comfort to know that he's praying for me. So that's, that's really good. Now somebody asked Mrs. Uh, Albert Einstein, do you understand Dr. Einstein's mathematical equations? And she replied, no, but I understand Dr. Einstein. Isn't that good? Now, do I understand the eternal equations involving prayer to my father? No. But what I am doing is I'm getting to understand my father better. And this helps me to pray. Paul prayed an extraordinary prayer in Philippians 3. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now we remember that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that he'd already been to heaven. Now Paul realized that knowing God better is the, is the way to a more intimate relationship. You can't have an intimate relationship with somebody that you don't really know. And he knew that prayer was absolutely key. So why do we pray? Well, we pray because God has ordained prayer as the method for glorifying himself by meeting our needs in answer to our prayers. And he does so, so that we can do his will and his work on earth. And yet, James says in chapter 4, you don't have because you don't ask God. And sometimes I think that if we think God is rather small, then we'll only bring little petitions to him. But if our God is a big God, then we'll bring big things to him. We're going to talk about that uh, uh, on another Sunday. Well, uh, a man called Oswell Chambers said, we, we have not the remotest conception of what is done by our prayers, nor have we the right to try and examine and understand it. All we know is that Jesus Christ teaches us to pray. And if ever you want to have a good reason to pray, just turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1 and look there. Because Paul has this extraordinary passage where he talks about the God of all comfort. And the word comfort is, I think, repeated about eight times. And having talked about God being the God of all comfort, then Paul begins to talk about all the difficulties that he was experiencing. He was under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, so that he despaired even of life. And he goes on to to say, even in our hearts, we, um, we, we, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that, he, that we might not rely on, uh, on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. A little bit of kind of humor in there. He felt the sentence of death, but actually his hope was in God who raises the dead. And then he goes on to say something that is really wonderful. He says... He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, that's the past tense, and he will deliver us, that's the future tense, again, so you've got the past and the future, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, so you've got the past, the present and the future all wrapped up in that first. And how does that deliverance come? As you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Here is Paul saying that God delivered him because people prayed for him. Were, were, were they spiritually mature? We're not told. They were just people who prayed. People who believed God answered prayer and they prayed. 
Now I came across, excuse me, a very helpful definition of prayer. Prayer is the means God has ordained to glorify himself by sharing his love with his children, meeting their needs, and accomplishing his purposes through their lives and the lives of others. I think that's worth reading again. So prayer is the means God has ordained to glorify himself by sharing his love with his children, meeting their needs, and accomplishing his purposes through their lives and the lives of others. Well, there's a few things wrapped up in that definition that are really helpful. The first is this. Prayer is worship, glorifying God. That's what prayer is. Worship, glorifying God. And then there's communion, which is loving God. And I don't mean breaking of bread. I mean communion, hanging out with God, spending time with God, communion, loving God. And then there is petition. That's asking God for what we need. And then there's intercession, asking God for what others need. So those are different elements of, uh, of, uh, of prayer. I had a really interesting conversation a little while ago with a lady who, who is in Christian ministry. And I said to her, do you know, sometimes God tells us to stop praying. And she said, really? And I said, oh, yes. Sometimes God tells us to stop praying. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to get up off our knees and actually do something. To stop praying. And uh, she wanted me to tell her where the Bible said that. Well, do you remember when the Israelites uh, uh, came to the Red Sea as they escaped from slavery in Egypt? Do you remember they they got hemmed in a place called Pihahiroth and Migdal, Baalzephon, and they were hemmed in and the Egyptians were coming after them. They were looking back just thinking, oh, what are we going to do? The Egyptians are after us. And and they were crying out. and, And God said... Uh, to, to Moses he said listen uh, in Exodus 14 then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me tell the Israelites to move on he goes on to say they'll see the salvation of God today so there are times when God maybe says listen I've heard all your prayers and stop praying it's now time for action that's not the only instance in, in the Bible Uh, Do you remember when uh, God said to Moses in Numbers 20, I want you to speak to the rock and to bring water from the rock. And Moses was a little bit impatient. So he didn't just speak to the rock, he took his rod and he hit the rock. And then he said to the people, must we bring water for you? He kind of didn't do what God had told him. He was partially obedient. So God was annoyed with them. Because he didn't do what he had said, what he'd been instructed to do. And God told him he wasn't going to get into the promised land. He would see it, but he wouldn't get into it. And you know, Moses was really upset about that. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And what did God say to him? Well, in Deuteronomy, we have here Moses saying, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. That fine hill country in Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That's enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. So he was told not to pray anymore about it. But just to accept it. You remember in the New Testament, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And it's described as being a messenger of Satan. 
And three times he asked the Lord to take it away. Some folks say that it was his mother-in-law. I don't think it was. Though the word messenger, in every other instance it's used, refers to a person. So I, I think there's probably somebody in the Corinthian church who is giving him a really difficult time. Happens occasionally. <laughs> and three times he prayed, Lord, take it away. And God said, no. God stopped him and and promised to give him grace. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So God took that which had been uh, described as a messenger of Satan and turned it around into a great blessing. Now prayer is not us trying to overcome God's reluctance. Prayer is us laying hold of God's willingness A man called Robert Law said, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. And so our focus must first and foremost be on the glory of God and not on our own comfort. Though sometimes it is, but God isn't really concerned with our comfort. He's more concerned with our characters. And that's why sometimes he puts us in situations where our characters might grow. Now we will pray, Lord, please give me patience and can you give it to me today? But God, here's the prayer. So he puts us alongside somebody and gives us lots of opportunities of having our patience stretched. A painful process. But that's what God does. A man called Philip Brooks has said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be better men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. I find it really interesting. The early church prayed, enable your servants in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. And that's the kind of prayer that we might pray, isn't it? Lord, would you just equip us for the task? Enable your servants. your servants. And how did God answer that prayer? Well, in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Some prayer meeting. Well, I have to tell you that when it comes to my chosen time, and I don't talk about quiet times, We talk about chosen times because we choose to have them or not to have them, as the case may be. But when it comes to my chosen time, I don't know about you, but I suspect you're pretty much the same as me. It's so easy to have a problem with routine praying. It's so easy to put in the prayer CD in the slot, push play, and begin to recite the same prayer that you prayed yesterday and the day before, and the day before that. I remember a very dear brother whom I loved so much uh, when I came to faith and joined a little assembly. um, This dear brother, he would never pray first, he would always pray second. And I got to the stage where I was able to repeat his prayer for him as he said it, because he prayed exactly the same prayer every time. Now, if somebody was speaking to us and said exactly the same thing all the time, it would become a little boring for us, wouldn't it? And yet that's a problem for us because we we press the play button when it comes to prayer and we can kind of go just along the groove. It's a really good thing to try to become a little bit fresh in our prayers. And we'll talk about that uh, in in the coming Sundays. Just to be... uh, 
in that place where we don't repeat the same thing again and again because that might be described as the vain repetition that's referred to in the Sermon on the Mount. And different folks have different ways of, of, of making their prayers fresh, maybe taking a hymn and um, a, a, a reading the words of the hymn, and a, a, particularly some of the wonderful old hymns, because the newer ones tend to be about us rather than being about him. But, but taking a hymn and just, and just feeding on it, or, or reading some scripture, and seeking that the Spirit of God should open that scripture to your heart and allowing the prayer to come out of the scripture. Thank you so much, Lord, for what I'm learning about you from these verses this morning. It's amazing, Lord, to be reminded that you are gracious, that you reach out and love us and touch us. And, oh, Lord, help me to look at you, to be captivated by your beauty, to allow my eyes to linger as I look at you in the word. And, and, and just the Holy Spirit will lead us forward and help us to pray. What, what about our prayer meetings. I don't know about your prayer meetings, but when D.L. Moody was ministering over in the UK in 1873, a popular magazine called The Christian published his suggestions for leading a successful prayer meeting. And Moody sent copies to ministers uh, all over the British Isles, and they greatly appreciated it. And here's a summary of what he wrote. He said, get the people sitting close together, ventilate the meeting place, keep the singing lively, I think he'd fit in well here, wouldn't he? Uh, Let the prayers be specific and the minister brief in his remarks. Announce the subjects in advance. Don't scold those who come for those who don't. (laughs) We hear that sometimes, don't we? Keep your discouragement to yourself and God. Vary hymns with prayers so that not more than two prayers are consecutive. Keep remarks informal, pointed, and the meeting short. Get all to participate, even if you have to speak to them in private beforehand. Avoid controversy, be punctual, and most important, keep in the spirit. And I'd add one more suggestion. Encourage people to speak up when they pray so that everybody can say amen. Because when you're leading in prayer, you're praying for all the people. Now there are those who will tell you that prayer is a beautiful conversation with God, and it can be. It can be a wonderful conversation with God, but it isn't always like that. In Colossians chapter 4, we read these words, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He was wrestling in prayer. And that's a really interesting word. The word wrestling comes or gives us our English word agonize. Agonizing in prayer. I'm not sure that we really know much of that. I'm not sure we really know what it is to weep in prayer. And yet there are times when prayer involves wrestling and pain. I think we ought to weep when we pray for our families. I think we ought to weep when we pray for our nation because our nation has turned its back against God. Jesus is our example. We read of him in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
I have a lovely friend who many years ago was at a prayer meeting and she, she has three boys and she was praying for, I think only two of them had uh, arrived at this time, but she was in the prayer meeting and she was praying for her boys and she broke down and wept and prayed that God would reach down and grab hold of their hearts that they might come to know him and love him and the pastor came and rebuked her for getting emotional in the prayer meeting but Jesus wept I don't think it's wrong to weep I think when we weep it's just passion and a depth of feeling sometimes it's not difficult for us to pray when we have an awareness of a particular need I want to finish this morning by telling you about a lovely girl called Tamara Tamara um, worshipped with us in the Findlay for a number of years. She went through the Bible College and studied, and at the end of her uh, time, she decided that she would become a missionary. So she joined the mission SIM, and she went out to Pakistan to teach in a school in Marie. And on August the 5th, 2002... Some of you may remember this. The uh, Christian school where there were about a hundred kids, children of missionaries, American and British and uh, and Australian, New Zealand missionaries, uh, came under attack. Four Islamic terrorists came. They'd been casing the joint and they waited until one of the two armed guards on the gate had gone in to bring somebody into the complex and then they Uh, opened their bags and took out AK-47s and started firing. What was interesting is that in their um, reconnoitering of the uh, building, they were timing their attack uh, for when all the kids would be out in the public space and not in the classrooms. But on this particular day, for some reason coincidence, uh, the children were all brought back into the classrooms. These four men came in and started firing. Now, my friend Tamara was in a classroom with little children, and uh, they had been uh, made aware that living in Pakistan that there was a danger. And uh, they had various plans in place as to what to do if, if there was a, a, an urgent situation of if they were attacked. Well, uh, interestingly enough, there was a door into a classroom block and the folks, some of the teachers, said, Look, we need to replace the door because it's not strong enough. But they hadn't quite got round to it. And some of the terrorists came to the door and they attacked the door, managed to rip some wood, but they couldn't get in. Now, Tamara was with uh, her children in a classroom, and there were a series of classrooms side by side. And interestingly enough, the other classrooms were not occupied. Hers was, and her door was closed. And there was a connecting door from the classroom into the next classroom, and the door for that classroom was open into the corridor. The terrorists came into the building. Tamara had the little children and she'd gathered them under the table. That must have been a squash because there were probably small tables, but they were under the table. And, and she had her arms around the little ones and they were praying. She was praying, please, Lord, would you protect us and protect these children? And the terrorists came to the door, and I can't just remember the detail, but they grabbed the handle and if the door opened inwards, they were trying to pull it open outwards. And if the door opened outwards, they pushed the handle down, but trying to get in, pushing it inwards. But you know, they couldn't get in. 
And they gave up. And those little children were saved. God was answering prayer. There's there's a situation not too dissimilar in the scriptures where men were blinded and they couldn't find the door to get in to do damage. It's relatively easy for us to pray when we're in a situation of urgent need. But what about every day? Every day. Well, that's what we're going to look at over the next three Sundays. And our text is this. Lord, teach us how to pray. And maybe as we pray that prayer, the Lord will help us and encourage us so that we might be able to organize our chosen times so that they become times when we really get to know him better. And in getting to know him better, that we will love him more. Let's pray together. Father, we do want to say thank you so much that you have given us the extraordinary privilege of being able to come into your presence, into the very throne room of heaven. Because Jesus has become the way. The veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. And because of that, we are able to come into your presence. And we want to say to you, Lord, that we're grateful for prayer. But at the same time, most of us experience a level of frustration. Because we're not sure how to do it better. And we just want to ask, O Lord, that as these Sundays unfold, and as we continue on this prayer journey, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us in very specific ways, that we might be enormously encouraged, and that we might find ourselves motivated more and more to spend time with you in prayer. Not forgetting to spend time with you in your word so that there is a two-way conversation. Please help us, O Lord. We need you so much. Thank you. Amen.